0: Hi everyone, Happy New Year and welcome to Human Centered. I'm Nick Brunker, a Group Director of Experience Strategy at VML and your host for the show. Thanks for giving us a listen. As we've closed the book on last year and flipped our calendars to 2024, we wanted to take a look ahead at what we as CX pros might expect in the coming weeks and months and offer up some predictions and ponderings you can have in mind as you ramp things up. In what has kind of become a tradition on the show for these type of episodes, we are pleased to welcome back VML's Chief Experience Officer in EMEA, Karen Boswell. Karen, thanks as always for doing this. How are things?
1: I'm great. Thank you, Nick. Good to be back and a happy new year to you as well.
0: You're actually going much deeper than we're going to have time for today. You've done 24 ponderings for 2024 in uh, an article that you've written and we'll link to on our our, uh, podcast episode page uh, so people can read kind of the full things. But we're going to cherry pick kind of a handful, maybe four of of the big ponderings that you've had, looking ahead to what we can expect in 2024. And knowing that uh, this year in 23, this past year has been Uh, full of of crazy growth, lots of changes, certainly a a lot of wicked problems. Um, There are a few things that I think are really interesting to dive into. Uh, And they all, interestingly enough, as as I've read uh, the post that you've written, have a lot of uh, um, symbiosis. They're all connected in in a lot of different ways. So I'd love to kind of dive into some of that. The first one is generative AI. Uh, And we talked with uh, Brian Yamada about this a little bit uh, ago during the 23 year uh, and got his thoughts on AI and how things are, are developing there. If 2023 was the year where generative AI became more of a familiar piece of nomenclature in our business where everybody seemed to be talking about uh, gen AI 2024, you think, and you're pondering might be the year that it really starts to deliver for businesses. Talk about that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this very much, um, builds on all of the, the clever things and clever tests and trials that, that Brian, uh, or BY known to his VML family has, <laughs> has shared. And I love some of the stuff that they've been playing around with. Um, but I think like any nascent tech, um, Gen AI has faced its fair share of challenges, its fair share of limitations and um, ultimately critique uh, in in multiple sectors. But I think um, as infrastructure has started to improve, as businesses have become a little bit more responsible around setting the right sort of architecture to allow for AI to be generative within the right sorts of constraints and the right sorts of parameters, uh, it feels like some of the groundwork has been done in the right way for it to now scale suitably with lesser risk. And I'm not saying no risk. I'm I'm specifically saying lesser risk there. Um, and and gener- generative AI is, you know, it's incredibly powerful when done right. If you give it the right creative remit and it is essentially um, a creative ability to, um make on-demand content, that becomes very, very exciting. And some of the sorts of um brands that we're starting to see adopt it and implement it um you know, into sort of real-time social media, into um uh, helping create scripts for films, you know, it's sort of like the beginning and the end of the process, but actually embedding it into businesses as well, starting to think about how perhaps customer experiences can be um, optimized to be much more deeply but relevantly delivered in the right sort of context and the right sort of moment. And ultimately just looking at the wider supply chain and how, you know, I, I can imagine sort of being a financial expert, suddenly having a 10th um, of the amount of time dedicated to finding a specific kind of file or solution, you know, so uh, the, the possibilities for it become much more adoptable within the end-to-end sort of business um, area and I think um, whilst deep fakes and fake news and all the sort of spin-off stuff that, that you know there are je- there are definitely sort of an eye to how we regulate those sorts of things um, I think there's a lot of potential now because some of the failings have happened in 2023 and we've learned from them and we've moved on and so I think this year will be the year where we start to see businesses properly benefit from um, the sorts of wonderful things we can take from Gen.A.I.
0: So another follow up on that, and it's something I faced in, in the last year and, and looking ahead to adapt in the year ahead as a CX pro. You, you think about this, this Gen.A.I. technology and how it can really build these amazing great customer facing experiences but also there's the flip side of it where you know businesses are going to find the value in adding efficiencies or cost savings or ultimately saving on the bottom line so there's the giving things through gen ai to customers to use in order to make their experiences easier and then the flip side uh is is that back end like making our business work more efficiently do you have a sense or, or even just you know, kind of a, a not I say prediction, but a, a thought about where uh, Gen AI is going to be most impactful in the year ahead, because customer facing or, or behind the scenes or a combination of both?
1: My sense is the preference, or I think the recommendation for me would be to do the majority behind the scenes and then step carefully into what is surfaced up in real time. Um, to the people that you're there to serve. And uh, I think the way that that can be the most successful is thinking about um, the total economy or the total infrastructure within a business. Um, Because I think if if you just limit yourself to a touch point or a channel or a platform or a tech stack, you're not really going to see the benefit of the power, the supercharge, the, the on-demand generative aspect of um AI can deliver to you. Essentially it's just sort of a slightly faster, slightly better AI because you're constraining it. But actually I think if we were to look at how um an end-to-end operation might simultaneously evolve or transform a part of a business through connecting and adoptive technologies that are informed and sped up and linked and bettered and optimized with generative AI, then we find new ways of working, new ways of serving, new ways of delivering. And that for me becomes a very exciting way of fine tuning and really leveraging technology to offer a concierge service to customers. But I think where businesses may shortcut is if they fall to the second half of your question too quickly. It's like, cool, we'll we'll just do some stuff and then we'll serve it up and see what works. Mm -hmm. I think you need, I think the royal you, the royal we, we need (sighs) to be very aware of what's the core thing we offer that our customers come to us for? What's our center of gravity? And and really kind of looking at how generative AI can drive the change within those important factors. And, and that's where I think the right potential can be harnessed.
0: Another pondering, the second one that we'll get into actually ties, you know, right directly to Gen AI and the idea of uh, using these budding emerging and soon to be commonplace technologies. That's the regulation around that. We've already seen it in the EU and you know, getting into a place where now that it's becoming closer to critical mass, you know it's coming across the globe. And I'll be curious about your thoughts on and the ponderings and the look ahead to 24 on, on how regulation for this technology is going to evolve.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, actually, because um, as a cheeky add-in, I thought I'd ask um, ChatGPT this. (laughs) I asked it (laughs) in a sentence, what will be the evolution of generative AI in in 2024? And one of the things it responded with um, was um, regulatory scrutiny uh, alongside... Heightened ethical considerations, and I think I think that's definitely true um, for all applications of AI. And um, there was a provisional agreement reached last year between the European Parliament and the European Council on the Artificial Intelligence Act. Um, and that's really interesting because that starts to pave a way forward for how these sorts of compliance processes can be deployed but it's not just within AI I think there's many other um, technologies that are now moving into a more mainstream stance you know they're not going away we can't stick our heads in the mm-hmm. sand anymore and pretend that blockchain isn't going to become a core part of what we do quantum computing isn't going to become a, a core part you know they are like they're here to stay and i think um as we look at how technology develops we should be mindful that the rules that regulate it will also develop as well and you know you, you look at The AI Safety Summit, you look at some of the interviews that the wonderful Musk has uh, delivered. I say that with a a slight (laughs) giggle because, you know, he's somewhat unhinged every now and again. But, you know, there is there is a global effort, clearly, to ensure that we Um, adopt AI and other relevant technologies in the most safe and responsible way. Um, But it's really tricky, right? I mean, there's one of the other sort of related points I had is that there's a lot of conversation about whether because AI now is so smart, so creative, does it actually need to get a citation in patents? And I'm like, oh, gosh, and you start reading up on this and what, Mm -hmm. you know, the high courts are saying and, and, you know, the legal points of view in this and um, it really does become like sort of a whole minefield of copyright infringement and um, rewriting different sorts of laws. And so, you know, but there's a massive spotlight on it. And I think um, much with how we adopt technology, The legal infrastructure needs to be there just as importantly as the information structure and the technology structure. So um, I I suspect this year will be a very key turning point on some of those conversations, again, coming together to allow for um, the right sort of adoption as we move forward.
0: I do wonder if there's going to be some sort of uh, linchpin in all of it that that gets something like W3C in play where, you know, back in the day when web was, was in its infancy, eventually there became this set of uh, approved or, you know, at least guidelines set of best practices. Obviously when you get into the legal aspects of it, it gets even more tricky, but do you see it being kind of a switch flip where, you know, eventually the first domino starts to fall around, you know, the, the EU that you mentioned that, that there are these, new regulations that are in play and basically everybody's going to get on the train and start to kind of work together on that because you know how it is when you're working something on a global scale that you know you can't just kind of put it in a box uh for for a particular country and say well this is how we're going to do it in the eu because it is so pervasive how how do you see the the evolution of those standards do you see it being a switch flip or do you think it's it's going to end up being more of a, a slow drip
1: I think it will be a consortium effort Um, and I think once a couple of those partners or a couple of those uh, countries or a couple of those bodies come together, as soon as there's a president that makes sense, I think we'll see a really quick kind of domino effect. Um, and if you actually, you know, I read I read a lot of stuff to sort of inform the blog and MIT do very in-depth and coherent technology reviews. And they've interviewed the CIOs of the likes of Adobe through to Shell. Um, you know, they're really sort of looking at um, the creators and, and the consumers of how enterprise adoption um, of generative AI is put in place. And I think um, all the right sorts of brains, possibly too many, which is why (laughs) it isn't going quite as quickly as we want to at the moment, but all the right sorts of brains are trying to understand how to establish a data analytics and AI infrastructure that is, efficient in the first place sufficient in the second place and then scalable with the right governance and the right future proofing and i think what makes it really tricky is that the pace of the technology is far far faster than the pace of any mm-hmm. legal system no, no doubt in, in anywhere <laughs> so like, i think that's that's kind of a bit of a challenge at the moment but yeah. um you know we obviously want to avoid Skynet, <laughs> and not have AI <laughs> writing these things for us. So I think the pressure is on, and hopefully the right sorts of smarts are in a room. Um, and again, you know, with, with reference to some of the partnerships that are coming um, coming forward and the patents act that are being um, looked at, um, I think the right sort of uh, classifications and judgments will be reached. I, I'm I'm hopeful, uh, like some of the key ones will be reached this year.
0: So as you think about those two uh, provocations, predictions, ponderings, as we talk about, take that and I guess manipulate the, the information we just talked about around the, the mindset of a CX pro or uh, somebody who's in marketing and trying to take what you, you believe is coming in the months ahead in 2024. What do we do about this? What, how, as somebody who is working on CX projects throughout the year with clients of all different sizes, types, industry verticals. How do we as CX pros prepare for this and keep up with it all? Because clearly it's happening fast. There's a lot of really cool budding technology that we can apply in our practice. If you were gonna talk to anybody within the VML walls or even anybody listening to this show who's, who's in that marketing capacity or CX capacity, how do you keep up and how do you, a, you know, adapt to the, these provocations, these predictions for 24?
1: I mean, we're very fortunate that we have some incredibly smart people within our network um, and perhaps actually we, we should do a follow up on this um, because it's, it's one of those conversations that um, we get asked a lot about. Um, in terms of, of behavior, I think we need to be informed so we can be open and honest. I think there are huge trust issues around any of these technologies as they leave out of their nascent state and into the mainstream. Um, but we are being asked, you know, clients are coming to us and, and saying, you know, how can I... Make the right efficiencies. Where does generative AI have its role? Is it customer facing? Is it internal? Um, but you know, we have the Perry Nightingales, then the Roy Armalies, and, and the Ben Richards. I'm throwing them right out there, so they have to commit <laughs> to saying yes. <laughs> and I will give them all a call after this. But um, but also, we we do have um, you know our our exclusive relationship with Nvidia. Mm-hmm. um as WPP is is um really useful to us because it means we're just at the forefront of those technologies so I guess we're fortunate but you know it still takes a hell of a lot of heavy reading um I mean I you know I, you sort of have to be aware enough of a lot of these technologies so that right. you can have a conversation at any given point um so you know we 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 can um, disseminate some of that information a little bit further as well. But yeah, I've kind of thrown it out there that we'll do a, a bit of a follow up on on generative AI. Maybe we build on what BY did last year, but we talk to some of our clients as well about some of the challenges that they're facing. And, um, you know, we've got some incredible legal brains as well that can kind of help us with what that sort of governance looks like, so. Hell
0: yeah. I would love that. would love that. All right. Prediction. I threw that
1: one right back at you, didn't I? <laughs> I mean,
0: it's coming. It's coming. I'm ready. I'm here for it. <laughs> Stay tuned, as they say. Um, Pondering slash prediction number three. You talk about this mm. this new acronym, or at least an acronym that I don't think is as commonplace, return on human investment, R-O-H-I. You believe it'll become an important uh. inclusion metric for the year. Let's talk about that.
1: I'm glad you picked up on this one actually. I wasn't sure if this was going to all be about um technology. Um so yeah, so uh, return on human investment. It, I mean it's essentially more commonly in HR circles it's known as human capital um ROI and traditionally it's a it's a metric that models the financial value that people add to an organization. I think what's been really interesting is the reason um, ROHI has uh, become more pertinent in our world as um, CX professionals is that A big part of CX is now EX. Um, Mm -hmm. And whereas two or three years ago, when VML started out on the journey, we were very much talking about closing the gap between brand experience, what you say, and customer experience, what you do to deliver on those promises. Actually, now it's probably more so about closing the gap between customer experience what you do to deliver on those promises and employee experience how do you enable a workforce to actually live a brand breathe a brand and deliver on the vision and mission and values and a key part that is often overlooked um is investing in those people and Mm -hmm. that's not you know the sort of basic um you know, basic sort of uh, cultural things exist. Um, I think there's better flexibility around a post-pandemic way of working, um, you know, hybrid working, helping people set up at home. Those, those are some of the basics. I'm talking more about um, leveling up, not being afraid to invest in your talent to make them better than they were before they joined your organization, to give them insight dashboards full of the trends that your customers are looking at, understanding what's the marketplace doing, why is that stuff locked in teams in silos deliver to the boardroom and then the boardroom go we're not delivering and i'm like we'll do your entire walk why don't your workforce have that information why aren't they trained you know because i think those there are multiple reports out there and you can talk to any of our people leads who are all excellent and um i'm sure they would give you multiple quotes on um, people that feel invested in, return that investment back to the business, mm-hmm. just as your customers do. You invest in your customer loyalty, your your customers return to your business. It's the same mentality, but inflected mm-hmm. internally. But sadly, even though that feels to me like a fairly obvious win-win, it's often one of the first budget cuts, mm-hmm. or it's sort of treated as an add-on negotiable benefit. Um, but I, I think, with the um, talent pool being really difficult um, and shrinking with people displacing around the world, um, borders being more difficult uh, to kind of swiftly move around. You know, certainly I'm recording this um, from the UK and Brexit has made it incredibly challenging to move our teams around um, Europe, Middle East and Africa, which is the region I represent. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really hard actually. So investing in talent not just top talent all talent rising stars and right hands um will help you enable a workforce to behave in ways that redefines your culture inwardly that is felt by your customers outwardly and helps deliver tangibly and intangibly but those things are felt on a brand promise because at the end of the day and i've used this saying god knows how many times what is a business if, it, if not its people? So I think it's really important. And um, the, the early signs are there from a lot of the cultural work we did last year. Those are the conversations that are starting to happen. Um, so I'm optimistic that this is going to be the year that it, it starts to become part of how we include people in our business moving forward. And, and an inclusion metric, you know, I mean that from a full cognitive point yeah. of view, not not just a sort of diversity point of view
0: and we talked about that with Lauren Blandin in our last episode actually on this idea and the concept of organizational psychology and it's it, it just keeping it as a microcosm inside of the VML walls that's that's exactly what she was talking about as as it relates to prioritization of employee experiences and you know learning and growth and so there's there is that win-win. Uh, that people feel inside our walls, but you're so right that, you know, in any time you are looking at the budgets and the bottom lines, it seems like those are the sorts of things that when the times get tough, some of those those things start to fall by the wayside um, because it isn't as front of face as potentially maybe a significant customer problem that you're having or another business challenge. And sometimes it's, uh, as Lauren said it, and you said it well now too, it's it's to, to look within and make this Uh, Something that that you use as a priority, not just kind of a fringe add on. Um, And I think in that your other provocation, your other prediction slash pondering for 2024 is that workers are going to continue to reinvent the workplace. Let's talk about that, because that's that's a whole podcast in itself, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, to be honest, any one of these is
0: probably a whole
1: whole podcast in itself. Um, So, I mean, this was a big hype um last year and uh, and the year before actually you can you can read a lot um pretty much since people started returning back to work and i think business leaders have been struggling with what the right boundaries are to offer people and i use that language carefully because actually a lot of businesses are just enforcing the previous rules ignorant right. to the fact that right. the world has changed. Yeah. Um and you know, and to your opening point, a lot of the, the pieces in my uh 24 puzzle of, of uh 2024 are interlinked and you know the the fact that leaders are harder to find and retain um the fact that people are displacing from um I guess, persona type careers into uh, portfolio careers and, you know, just really kind of shaking things up as well as all the things we talked about moving around geographies and um, all of that kind of stuff. Um, But actually, there's a lot of interesting repeated insights Um, including the likes of Gartner are quite prominent in this space. And um, there are some couple of there are a couple of links uh, in the blog that if anyone's interested, they can follow. But um, it is clear now from the last couple of years of data that it will be the workforce that win (laughs) this Mm -hmm. conversation Mm -hmm. Um, because they can go and work for the companies that are providing the right sorts of environments for them to live in what has become a hybrid world. So for businesses to assume that they can be rigid in a hybrid world and enforce pre-pandemic rules in a post-pandemic world is naïve. Uh, and it's naive now because there's two years of data to say it doesn't work, whereas before people were sort of like, well, you know, we'll try this yeah, and we'll try that. And so, exactly. um, you know, I think the declining talent pool we talked about, that is something that um, is causing a collapse of the, the pre-pandemic Um, way of working and those stereotypes um don't exist anymore um so that that is enforcing changes as well but there's also just a better balance of technology to enable enable people rather than constantly looking for ways to replace the workforce. Well, if you don't come in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, then it's okay because we're going to employ generative AI to do your job. It's like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's not going to work. No, 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 no. It's no, not no. going to work. Um,
1: so, you know, and I think it's just, it's interesting, um, you know, things like, four day weeks becoming routine rather than a request climate change protection caught my eye. So that becoming something that, that the Gen Z and some of our sort of our millennial employees are actually starting to ask for, like, what do you do to better the climate? Why should I come and work for you? Are you putting me and the planet before your profit? Um, And, you know, there's a whole rift of them, but um, the overarching trend wraps up into the fact that um it's the employee with the power and i guess you know the symbiosis and what we talk about when it's what well, customers have the power
0: well and that's <laughs> if the your employees of it. don't
1: gonna work for you you don't really have a business do you no so. question and it
0: goes back to what you said before it's all about the people and and you can't serve your customers without employees that care and and are buying into the vision it, it's it's that flywheel effect that. You know, done right, the flywheel spins in the right direction and done wrong, it spins in the opposite direction if if you, you know, are going to you know, keep on with that metaphor. I think the other really interesting part about what you just said around reinvention of the workplace, I think we're all feeling it still uh, coming out of the pandemic and and kind of tiptoeing, whether it's a four-day week or whether it's hybrid Um you know, the, the force that some companies are doing to say, you have to come back five days a week in office is regardless of how f- far down that road, a company decides to go the impact of, of what does the physical space look like now that when you do come in, mm-hmm. how does that look? Because I know you think about all of the, the offices say, whether you're at a you know, startup or a big business, the The way the physical space when you are in the office is structured also is going to change because like you said the technology is evolving you're talking on uh phone calls all day potentially obviously you were doing that at home when you were doing you know pandemic style work but now that you're back and yet you're still working with regional folks like i think you and i are a good example of this we're working on business together that you know, while we're in separate countries, literally time zones away, uh, we still have to be synced up. So if we're both in the office together, how does the physical space of being in the office change in those environments? So I think it's it's a really fascinating time for not just how does the technology help, but then in the physical space, how, do, how does that need to adapt? Have you seen or have any opinions or, or uh, thoughts on how How business leaders are going to have to adapt their physical space, too, to accommodate all these new trends.
1: So this is really interesting um, to me. So last year I um, studied organizational psychology um, and did a course in um, gestalt organizational design. Um, and so this is this is probably another breakout one as well. But um, <laughs> for me, I think there's something very interesting about both the physical uh, artefacts and the psychological artefacts. And they are interlinked. Um, and gestalt is essentially a kind of sum of all um, approach. So you think about how an environment is shaped. Um, by the people and the field. Um, So if the field is the space and then you have the people within it, each person coming in or leaving alters that field, that environment, that culture, that space. Um, And for me, I think it's really fascinating. And it actually includes the earlier point of um, investing in people to equip them with information. And, And I think the reference we we sort of touched over really briefly, was sort of what insight goes into the boardroom agenda. The boardroom agenda is an artifact that can impact the psychology of a culture. Because if people know about it, but they're not included in it, then actually that's exclusive. Mm-hmm. which is the tradition of boardrooms. um, And the same goes for the shapes of sofas, the kind of lighting, yeah. you know, whether everybody in a Teams meeting um, in a room is looking at one laptop versus, you know, each person being in front of a laptop so anybody dialed in at home sees everybody's faces, not the backs of the faces, and feels mm-hmm. excluded from the room. You know, it's a minefield of um design, essentially. Like, how do we truly be inclusive within an organization from everything we say and everything we do and everything pr- we provide. Um, and I, I have a really good network of people that I draw on all the time, um, in both talent transformation and cultural transformation. Um, so maybe there's a, a separate thing in that as well, but I think it's incredibly important. Um, people are constantly seeking, um, A mix of a home from home and refuge at the same time right um because those boundaries are blurred you know like we've we've had senior people come into our living rooms um before we had you know studies and (laughs) little corners of rooms to set ourselves up in you know we've it's so much more intimate now and so to just expect the flip to pop back into a Crappy call center-esque. <laughs> oh my God. It's just not good enough. It's not going to cut it. Not going to cut it. So, again, I think the world has moved on. Culture has moved on. If you consider culture as a set of things that people are and a set of things that people do, you need to allow for spaces, environments, behavioral systems that embrace allowing people to perform their best for you as an organization. So anyway, so I probably waxed lyrical a little bit on that, but no, you, hit, awesome. you probably unknowingly hit on one of my passion. <laughs> topics,
0: so. It's fascinating. And the beautiful thing is it's constantly evolving. And I'm sure as we, we do this again at the end of this coming year or the beginning of 2025, we're going to be looking back and and being able to kind of see how things have evolved in this. And, and again, for those, and we mentioned it a couple of times in the show, uh, if you want to read what What Karen has written, you have a link uh, in the show notes of this podcast. You can look at all 24 of the ponderings that she had (laughs) written. Karen, this has been great as always. Thanks for the time. And uh, we will will absolutely be doing multiple podcast episodes with you this year (laughs) based on all of the great content and all the great uh, subjects we're doing. Thanks again.
1: That would be my pleasure. Thank you, Nick. And I will speak to you soon.
0: Sounds great. And thanks to you all for listening to Human Centered as well. To learn more about CX, our practice and the approach to the work, check us out online at vml.com slash cx. We'd also love to hear your feedback on the show. Give us a rating and offer up your thoughts wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and much more. Have a topic idea or just want to drop us a line, you can connect with me on x at Nick Brunker or just shoot us an email. The address is humancentered at vml.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.